0: This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME.
1: Good morning look at you this time of day and you're all here so great welcome to the wonderful world of short docs my name is kathy henkel and i am currently the director of the wa screen academy at edith Cowan university in perth in western australia so i have the wonderful job of teaching the art of filmmaking Uh, i also have come from a background of 25 years of producing documentaries primarily long form so very Interesting question. Why am I so interested in this space of short docs? Because I really am. I find this is this is just such an exciting space to be working in. Um, so just to preface it very briefly before I introduce this fantastic panel, including Charlie from London, <laughs> who's joined us. Um, but I will introduce the panel in a minute. So I just wanted to say a few words about this space. This disrupted world that we live in, um, Everything, of course, is changing, everything is disrupting. And what's so exciting is the new platforms that are emerging and the new ways that we can tell stories and reach audiences. So one of the things that's emerged is the space for short docs is increasing in terms of audience and in terms of people who are arising out of the space to meet, engage, bring that audience together and create business models and platforms around that for us as content creators. To, to engage and these audiences are growing astronomically. So I was just thinking on the train coming in about the, why I love the space and a lot of F words came to mind. So there's the freedom of producing short docs. You can do it a lot faster. There's a lot less money required and there's a lot of freedom in the form. So there's freedom, there's flexibility, there's a freshness to it. You can get stories out, especially in the space I work in, which is an impact documentary where you want to tell a story and you need to tell it really quickly. It's playing out like right now and even with the long form that I was doing, I was producing short form to release quickly to get That audience engagement and of course on a lot of the platforms that's the perfect way to engage audiences if even to bring them to long form but in itself so there's this lovely freshness there's a fluidity in the form as well as in the focus of the stories and it's fucking fun isn't it (laughs) So many differences in terms of style, budgets and distribution platforms. So I'm delighted to introduce this panel today who are going to unveil this lovely world that we live in. So what we'll do is just a number of questions go around each of the panelists will talk about what they do and show us an example of the kind of work that they do. So I won't go into a huge amount of detail because their bios are on their website but I'll start if I could with Lindsay. Lindsay is the coordinating producer of OpDocs, Lindsay, Lindsay Krauss, and has come all the way from New York to join us and is doing a number of things here besides this panel. So, do you want to just tell us a little bit about OpDocs and what you do and show us an example of the, of the work?
2: Sure, yes. Yeah. So, OpDocs was created in uh, 2011 by the New York Times when we decided to expand our opinion report to include short, opinionated, well, short online videos with a strong point of view. And so, I guess um, the first mission of OpDocs is to start conversations among both our audience um, and ideally, in society, if possible, about the most important issues of of, um, of the day. So, since we started Op Docs in 2011, um, we have run, I think about, I think we're nearing 200 short films, um, uh, original shorts, and um, those tend to be by both um, new and established filmmakers. So, all sorts of people. That's really why I'm here um, to find talent from Australia, and we give them a wide creative latitude. So, that's um, the other big priority of OpDocs is to um, push the boundaries of the genre and to really challenge our viewers through film. So, um, is, is Matt Bate here? Not sure, I saw him last night. Well, anyway, he's the um, he's one of the excellent Australian filmmakers that we've worked with so far, and um, I'm gonna show a, f- a clip that he made, a clip of a doc that he made for us called Vic Invades, which is about um, a... a um, guy from Brooklyn who climbs to the top of skyscrapers and he's almost like a Robin Hood of um, of views, um, views in New York City that are usually re- um, reserved for the rich and so this is an example of a film that uh, really resonated with our viewers because not only because he's doing something completely dangerous and something that most of us would never do you know standing on the tops of on the tops of skyscrapers but also um, really raising important questions in subtle ways about um, the what 's reserved for the rich and what what, um, what the poor are allowed to have um, and it was definitely one of the most popular films on our website when it ran, I think uh, a couple months ago so that that 's an example of what to us was um, pretty much a, a perfect short it was and for us, it was the perfect op doc because for one I mean, I mean a lot of a lot of the editors when we were watching it, they almost got um, almost physical reactions um, to watching it, like a sense of vertigo and I think one thing that we're trying to do above all else at opdocs is is spark those really strong reactions um, in our in our viewers and help them have experiences that they've never had before and um, for me that that certainly happened here um, another thing that was really striking about this and works particularly well for um, for opdocs because it's part of the opinion report of the New York Times which in many ways or in many instances is um, is written is this was very visual um, it was it was visual first, and that was really what set it apart. You could not do this kind of an opdoc or this kind of a story through words alone um, and so that that made it a really a really strong and arresting opdoc. doc um, let me see uh, and that, I mean that, that's what, that's what that's the case for for all of our opdocs of uh, They have to be very beautiful um, as well as important, and I think the, the the visual element of opdocs is what tends to really reinforce the theses. Um, In the perspectives that filmmakers are trying to get across.
1: Thank you. So we'll come back to talking more about the style and the the particular um, genres that you're looking for. If we could just keep going around with the sort of general introduction. So next on our panel we have Katie Roberts. Katie is the senior vice producer at Vice Australia, which is a global media youth company. Um, So yeah, tell us about the company and show us something of what you do. Um, Yeah, so I'm I'm not sure how many people are familiar with
3: Vice, but I've got a little reel that will sum it all up nicely, um, better than I can, that's for sure. Um, But essentially, we're a youth media company. Our audience is around like 18 to 35-year-olds. We primarily play on the online space, though we are sort of moving into other areas, which I'll go into a little bit later. Um, In terms of our content, I think um, we're unique in that we also produce our content in-house. So rather than commission, we sort of collaborate Um, so we do kind of have a particular style that we really go for and that, that style is, um, well, maybe I can actually say what our viewers said about us when we asked them why they came to us. And the number one reason I think was that we were telling stories that nobody else was telling and uh that we were telling them from a perspective that nobody else was telling and i think that that is kind of part of our mission statement um i mean i think the takeaway from that is is really just that yeah we are young people talking to young people in a way that's kind of conversational um and you know i guess we're just offering a different perspective from you know say new york times like obviously New York Times is completely amazing and we're very happy that it exists and it needs to stay and exist, but um, we just want to offer a different way of looking at stories and that's kind of our objective.
1: Okay, fantastic. Well, we'll come back to unpacking that a little bit more, but thank you, that was a really great clip. All right, moving down, we now, we have Jennifer Byrne. Uh, Jennifer is the head of video, is that right, at Dazed Media. So, Jennifer, tell us about Days and show us what you got.
0: Sure. So, I have a reel um, as well, but I'm uh, head of video at Days Media, which is an independent um, publishing company. We have titles including Another, Another, Ma- Another Man, uh, Nowness, and Dazed and Confused, which is our original publication, which is a fashion and culture magazine it's founded 25 years ago. Um, I run the video department and oversee commissioning, programming, featuring across Days Digital, which is our kind of shop front, um, and also Days Media, which is our more commercial uh, side of things that pays for us to be able to make independent documentaries, work with young directors from across the world. I guess we are really interested in telling stories um, from a personal point of view, trying to find compelling stories that need to be told. that are genre-defying, that push boundaries, that look incredible, um, trying to tell stories in a different way.
1: All right, thank you. That's thank you, that's great. Charlie. All right, well, um, somewhere in London, <laughs> it's quite late, I think, um, we're delighted to have with us Charlie Phillips from um, The Guardian, who's the head of documentaries at The Guardian. And, yes, he's joining us via this... Can we bring him up on that screen, or is it going to...? there we go hey charlie (laughs) can you hear me you can hear me yes Yes. great well welcome so charlie why don't you tell us a bit about what the guardian's doing in this space these days
4: sure um hello everyone sorry i'm not there i'm I'm your disembodied head (laughs) um yes so i'm head of documentaries at the guardian here in london i cover commissioning of documentaries all across the world including australia we created the Documentary Program in October 2014 and since that time we've put out just over 40 short documentaries, all under 20 minutes. Um, our documentaries can be um, anywhere from as short as 5 minutes up to 20 and we're really looking to tell really great stories that say something new about the world to our audience. So. It's quite an open brief, as long as they are formed by storytelling in some kind of way, as long as they tell our audience something new, as long as they surprise our audience, then we're pretty open to all ideas that are out there. Um, It's important to us that we go beyond the expectations people might initially have of Guardian content. So although we're a news organization, we're not just looking for news, we're not just looking for current affairs, We're just looking to tell really interesting contemporary stories. Um, All of our documentaries go out across our own website, but also Facebook, YouTube and Vimeo. And we're really trying to reach quite a broad audience all across the world. And that thing of appealing all across the world is really important to us. We we are a global organisation, and so there's stories that we want to tell need to be made by Global Voices for global audiences. Um, We're really diverse in all of the kind of docs that we put out there. Um, And the film that I'm gonna show you now, I think we'll just show the first few minutes of it, is a film called Quiet Videos, and it's about ASMR, which is a weird and very strange and beautiful YouTube phenomenon. Um, So we'll play the first few minutes of this, and I kind of like showing this one because it's not really what you would expect, From The Guardian. So, um, yeah, hopefully this will work. If we could show the first few minutes of the film.
1: So, thanks, Charlie. (laughs) We'll come back to you in a bit. So, um, what I'm going to do now, it's interesting how many times yesterday at the sessions all the people standing up were saying, We're looking for noise, noise, noise. Did you hear that? This is the opposite. <laughs> this is the anti-noise um, style. So what I wanted to do now is combine the next three questions and ask each of you just to talk a little bit about the sort of style that you're looking for, what you think constitutes a good short form, and what sort of business model do you commission, um, do you go out and, and create stuff yourself, and you know what sort of business model is there, and yeah, how can people get in contact with you if they've got ideas. So can we start with you on that, Lindsay, combining those three?
2: Yeah, sure. So we don't really commission at OpDocs. We always say that the best ideas for OpDocs come from filmmakers themselves, and that model has proved to work out very well for us. Um, in the past, uh, we've we've won the Emmy Award for Best Approach to... or I'm um, sorry, New Approaches to Documentary um, over the... Um, the past two years and I think that has really been because we've given our filmmakers almost complete creative latitude to um, to impress us with what works Um, I guess in terms of what so as the coordinating producer I'm sort of always on the lookout for new voices and um, fresh takes on things and something that I'm always looking for is filmmakers from because the times is becoming more international I'm looking for um, filmmakers from the place making films about the places that they're from, rather than kind of sending Americans off into, you know, another place and telling other Americans what it's like. Um, and that seemed to work really well for us, um, also. Uh, and then you were asking about our business model. Um, so people don't tend to come to the Times for um, for the money, but we do um, evaluate the needs of each project individually, and then we we tend to offer a stipend upon publication. Uh, We also partner with foundations sometimes to give a little bit more money to filmmakers, um, depending on the project and whom they've worked with uh, in the past. uh, But what we are really offering filmmakers is a platform with almost unparalleled access to Times viewers around the world um, and almost a uniquely engaged audience who is just kind of dying to talk about um, all the issues that our filmmakers have brought up um, and to react to um, many of the important uh, uh, topics that they're bringing up.
1: Okay, so um, Katie, can you talk about your business model and how you how you like to engage with filmmakers?
3: Yeah. Um, did you want me to talk about the other question as well, or just skip yeah, over yeah, your, your okay, idea yeah. Okay, oh, I, th- I think it's film. interesting to talk about um, what works in in short form as opposed to long form. Um, like we obviously have a specific way of doing things, advice which I can go into as well. But I think for for short form. Um, Potentially not picking a topic that is like an all-encompassing topic, like trying to cover climate change in 15 minutes is probably going to be pretty difficult. So we talk a lot of advice about um, if we want to talk about climate change, like breaking that down into a microcosm story. So how can you tell a smaller level story of somebody that's maybe being impacted by climate change and talk about climate change um, by telling that story instead? Um, in terms of vices content, like I think the the big one is like we're always trying to be immersive. Um, we like to sort of be in the action. We don't like to necessarily just have a talking head on screen if we can avoid that. We always want to sort of be experiencing living this moment with the people. Um, also, I think as well, like we like to be conversational. Like we like to talk to young people like, like I would just talk to you here now. Um, in terms of our business model, um, we, I guess, are in the content game, like that's the majority of our business is is making and selling content, um, as you saw up there across a myriad of different channels and um, different ways. Uh, the way that we work with uh, filmmakers is um, we obviously have an in-house production team, which is a little bit different. Um, So we do have in-house generation of ideas and we sort of bring in different crews to make those ideas depending on what they are. So I'd say that we really collaborate more than we like sort of traditionally commission. Um, And I guess we're really interested in talking to independent filmmakers that have ideas and um, working with you to make those happen. Um, as opposed to sort of production houses that may want to sort of prompt out a whole series. So um, in terms of getting in contact, yeah, just just email me. Um, maybe don't pitch us a whole series. We're kind of really just looking for
1: sort of short one-off documentaries. Um, yeah, did that cover all those three questions? Yep, sure did. Um, <laughs> we'll come back to um, further interrogating that in a minute. So Jennifer, can you talk about what you think makes a good short doc, and how how your business model operates and how people can engage with you?
0: Um, Sure, I think uh, to make a good short doc, there has to be an emotion that's conveyed. So whatever the story is, or whatever the reveal is, or whatever we're investigating for it to work, um, people have to feel something, like anything. You have to have an emotion, um, and that's what keeps people watching. Um, The online space is really, really busy and, you know, you go to work, you have 10 tabs open. So what's going to make you stay with this 10-minute, 15-minute doc through your lunch break and and enjoy it, I guess, is where we feel that we've achieved something. Um, When that happens and when you have the comments and you have a a real conversation with your viewers and they share it. Um, So that is what success looks like, I guess, on a small scale for any um, director. In terms of our business plan, uh, Days is an independent magazine, so we are not rolling in cash, um, sad times. But we do have an in-house studio which commissions for commercials and branded content, etc., etc. And the editorial budget I have is small, but we work a lot. If, if, if a good idea comes through that we can take to a broadcaster, we will. we can partner and try and raise funds that way, or take to a particular brand if that works, or even um, a government organisation or, or gallery or trust. We're working with Channel 4 at the moment on Random Acts, which is their short programming uh, slate and various other things. And I've lost my train of thought. But I think in terms of um, getting in touch with me, just send an email. I think that series ideas generally come from ourselves, but very keen to look for one-offs that we both commission, co-commission, and will feature. So I'm looking for projects at any stage of their development, whether it's a two-page treatment, and you're looking for help across the board, or whether it's finishing funds to get a grade and an edit, et cetera, and then we can help you distribute it.
1: Can I just ask a quick question about that? You mentioned you might partner um, content makers with brands. So that's a very interesting space we're moving into, which is, you know, the branded content. Sure. So how does that work? So if an idea comes and you think this would be a good fit for, yeah. do they then pay the filmmaker to produce that? Or? Yeah,
0: um, a lot of my job is matchmaking, um, not romantic enough, but um, the kind of ideas that come from directors, often we will have a very open brief from a brand who are looking to maybe label a series um, and the dream is when they have no creative input and they just give you money to put their logo on the end, which I'm very open to. Mm. Um, so that is something that we are doing.
1: Great, because that's definitely a growth area, but it's about finding the brokers of people yeah. who can help. And finding match, the, right, make that the right brands as well. Yeah, excellent. All right, um, Charlie, is still with us? Yes. So can you... <laughs> <laughs> Um, so can you talk about how The Guardian works in this space, what you think makes a good piece and um, and how how you engage, is there money on the table, how you get audience, etc. Can we bring him up on that screen again?
4: Sure. So what yeah. works best for us is that, like I kind of said before, it tells our audience something they didn't already know. So we want to make sure that we are breaking some kind of new story or breaking some kind of new information for our audience and if it kind of passes that test that we think that they will see the, the film on the front page of our website and click on it because they go oh i don't know anything about that that's kind of something really new to me um it kind of needs to pass that test because because they're the audience for a newspaper and so They kind of think they know everything. They don't want to read something twice or watch something twice. They want to get something fresh. Um, Alongside that, we really like stories. We really like narrative. I think with online documentaries, if you take people on a journey and if you give them a story, then you've kind of won half the battle. Um, The style of our films generally is quite fast paced. the, the quiet videos film I show actually breaks some of our rules, which I think is good because I think rules are about to be broken, but generally we do like fast-paced things, we like films where they're not too slow, they're not too poetic, um, they keep relentlessly moving along and, and I do think you really need that in the online doc space. Um, We also do want a real original vision as well. So we deliberately don't want all our films to look the same. We want diversity in this ongoing series. And so when people pitch to me, I'm very much looking to to hear from the filmmaker what their visual style is going to be, how it's going to be visually interesting. And that's really important to us as well, that there's something visually interesting in in the film that they're making. in terms of how people pitch to me, um, I like to be pitched to. All of the docs we do are from independent filmmakers and production companies. We we do make a lot of stuff in-house, but that is our news features. That's all the kind of video journalism. So the documentary is almost completely about external filmmakers. So I need people to pitch to me. Um, people can just email me a pitch. Uh, so just a one-page treatment with as much information about what we're going to see on screen, as opposed to what the film is about. I want to know what you're going to show me. Um, And some kind of visual help, like a trailer or a teaser. I always want that as well. Um, For the business model, uh, um, we pay money. Um, We do have a budget for spending on these films. Uh, It's quite variable. I mean, I always want to see a budget up front and try and work out what you actually need to get this film made. It tends not to be more than £10,000, sometimes it's more, um, it really depends on the film, it depends on how big we think the audience is going to be, it depends on how excited we are about the access, it depends on who the filmmaker is, um, it depends on lots of things, but it, it's like up towards 10000 and sometimes more. Um, And that needs to cover everything, including music, archive, like all costs in in budget, basically. Uh, And at the moment, this is about about building an audience, it's about getting people watching more documentaries on The Guardian, um, rather than selling loads of advertising off the back of it at the moment. Um, The budgets that we can put into the films are... Uh, partly Guardian funding, but also doing some partnerships with foundations as well. And I think that might be an increasing part of what we do. Um, and I think that's a kind of good model to kind of, for us to put some of our own money in there, also work with other documentary funding bodies like foundations. I hope that answered everything. Yeah,
1: no, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. So thank you also for putting a dollar on that. It's the only one, but interesting to, or pound, <laughs> I should say, a pound. Um,
4: I, think it's, I think it's quite important to be open about the money that you spend yeah. on things, even, even if there's like a good scale there. Um, I think it's quite, I think it's good to say that.
1: Anyway. Yeah, no, I do too. Thank you. Um, we'll, Charlie, they want your email address. <laughs> I think it's is is it on available on the site?
4: It's yeah. It's it's at the It's probably available. Yeah. Either like in the catalogue okay. or all all Guardian email addresses are first name dot surname at the So you can email me <laughs> or indeed anyone else at the Guardian.
1: <laughs> okay, it's it's dig a bit. Yes.
0: Um, we commission uh, filmmakers from India and Pakistan. We have uh, English subtitles. So uh, we're not against commissioning uh, foreign language directors and using subtitles. Uh, very open to it. But don't necessarily subtitle our English films
3: <laughs> yet. Do you two
1: want to jump in? Um,
3: same, same as days. We obviously um, are completely open to shooting films that aren't um, native English. Um, and we also do have a model between, we've got 35 offices, so um, we have a model where if we know that we're about to release a video, um, we'll share transcripts and make sure that that video is then translated into their language um, and um, upload and publish it locally to those um, territories.
2: Uh, so the Times has a website in, uh, in Mandarin um, that you can just tab into. Uh, off of our regular homepage, and then we also, I believe, last week launched uh, the Times in Espanol, uh, which is a, a um, Spanish selection of many of our articles per- of particular interest to Latin America and um, you know, Spanish-speaking populations anywhere. Um, and even just yesterday, in OpDocs, we or today, depending on time zones, um, we. Um, ran an op called A Conversation with Latinos on Race, which is part of our popular um, Conversation on Race series. And although the people were speaking in English, we um, uh, translated this one uh, through subtitles into Spanish and also published it, um, a a Spanish language language director's statement on on the Spanish language site. So it's certainly a priority for us to reach audiences of all different uh, languages.
1: Charlie, do you want to comment on that?
4: yeah so we're really open to non-english language docs um they're subtitled into english i think you have to do that if you have global ambitions um in terms of translating from english into lots of other languages at the moment we don't have the we don't have the manpower to be able to do that so it's a kind of it's a very boring and practical thing um What we do do is we some because the films go on youtube we will sometimes use youtube's automated translation um to translate into languages where there's a reason to translate it into that other language it's not you has anyone who's ever used YouTube's come to translate like, I, oh. tool will know that it's not perfect. um there's a there's a definite ambition for us to translate to more language I think it's really important, but there's it's When you haven't got someone to specifically do that, it can be quite time-consuming.
0: Yeah, really variable. It can come in and we can maybe, you know, from $500, but then get an amazing recording artist to do a a soundtrack or get a free grade or get a free edit to £20,000, depending on if it's a series, the scale of the idea, what we think of the audience. But as an independent magazine, it's it's kind of, you know, $5,000, I would say, is the average for... 10-minute contribution to a docx film
3: um yeah i mean it's definitely a varying scale and we're always weighing up how much do we want this story compared to how much it costs um i'd say that you know traditionally our budgets don't really go that far over like twenty-five thousand dollars a shoot but there's also um, exclusions to that as well so um, definitely trying to make content cheap because i think we're also particularly for Vice, we make so much content, so we're not investing like $100,000 in one 15-minute film. That's just not really gonna happen, but um, hopefully that answers some questions.
2: Uh, There are always exceptions to this, but generally our uh, stipends upon publication are in the couple thousand dollar range. Um, Increasingly, we're partnering with uh, foundations like the Pulitzer, well, it's our Institute for Crisis Reporting or um, Ford or Sundance, Tribeca, um, MacArthur to or Chicken and Egg to find uh, funding for filmmakers um, for projects that we're really excited about. So uh, the, while the Times itself doesn't necessarily offer a ton of money, uh, the other foundations that we partner with are certainly supplementing that at this point.
1: Yeah, so I was going to add that um the brands perhaps might pay something, or the foundations that you partner with might contribute to this as well as your, your budget?
2: Uh, sure, so for us it's a 30-day exclusive on our website and then a joint copyright in perpetuity, um, so, which seems to be a pretty good deal for the filmmakers. And um, the time just never takes anything down, whether it's written or, um, or online, you know, digital video, so um, it, it stays on our website forever.
3: Um, for Vice, we definitely retain ownership um, over the project. I guess we, that's why I say we collaborate more with filmmakers. We'll really um, try and bring them into our world and potentially put a team around them as well to help them make something. We'll use our own in-house editors. It's going to be cheaper. Um, and, yeah, we, we want to retain ownership on the on the copyright. There are exclusions to that as well, where sometimes um, filmmakers will come to us with a completed documentary and we we may run it on our channels, but we'll basically be open and call that out and say this filmmaker made this documentary we think it's really great. we're going to run it on our channels and in those particular situations um, we don't retain ownership, it'd just be yeah, like an exclusivity window for a few weeks or something like that and then the filmmaker would retain um, copyright.
0: Um, We're more like the New York Times, we uh, share ownership with filmmakers and we hold a one week exclusive. We actively encourage filmmakers to put the films on their own Vimeos um, unless of course it's a branded content Project where the brand always owns your work, and I think that uh, filmmakers sometimes forget that, and are surprised when they, you know, brands, bad brands, can just cut up your work and put it in a Beyonce video, as recently happened to some directors. There you go. Charlie.
4: So yeah, we're we're a bit more we're a bit more aggressive with the rights that we take. Um, we need an online exclusive. Uh, globally, for the Guardian, usually in perpetuity, i.e., it's only ever on the Guardian online forever in that form. Um, we, if you want to make a longer film, so this is kind of your way onto making a feature doc, then we'll usually allow you to do that, so that basically our ownership only refers to the, the particular cut that's going out on the Guardian. Um, but this also feeds into the the amount we pay, so the less we have in terms of ownership, the less money we'll pay. So there is, there's some room for flexibility, but we're quite involved in the editorial process. And so um, that amount of time and kind of knowledge that we're putting into it, and the, the vastness of the audience that we can reach, we think means that we're within our rights to take a certain amount of rights. But it's, it's pretty flexible. I mean, it's just me talking to the filmmaker on a kind of one-to-one basis. So we can normally come to some kind of agreement.
1: Fantastic. So obviously this is a way in if you can, you can retain the idea but get an audience, you know, find that audience for short form and then perhaps go on and develop it into long form if the idea's really kicking ass and, you know, people want it. Or you, you just have an idea that you really want to get out there really quick and fast. and So it's got a whole range of possibilities. Do you do any contact with brands?
2: Yeah, um, that's probably not something that we would uh, work on. Um, everything needs to be independent um, and all sort of funders uh, disclosed. I mean, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see that ever really working in the times that we could always discuss if it came up, but, um, but I don't, I think the answer is no as of right now. What
3: about days? Um, yeah, that's something that Vice already does. Um, I guess, but our main sort of principles on that are that we, I guess, we bring such a large audience that brands want access to. So we do. Oh, we were talking about it before. Like mm. we have a little bit of negotiation room to really be like, okay, we'll put your brand on this, but like we have creative control over the project. So um, that they're sort of our, that's our set of rules really for for making branded content. Is as long as the creatively, like we're the boss.
1: What about the Guardian, is this an area you would go?
4: Um, We do have a whole division that deals in branded partnerships called Guardian Labs. And that is a separate department to where I sit, which is editorial. Um, So we do do a lot of that stuff and a lot of it's really good. That, That area is a kind of different entry point to the Guardian. And it'll sometimes be that people pitch to me and I, pass it on to Guardian Labs. So I tend not to kind of work with them in a direct way because we try and keep things separate. But um, there, are, there are possibilities there. Um, some brands are better than others, obviously, because of the like, nature of the Guardian. But we do do
1: it. Good, OK.
2: Uh, So we love to come in on pitches as soon as possible Um, the way that we would probably actually turn something into production is if you came to us with a rough cut and we were able to really get a sense of the style of your filmmaking and um, really get a sense of how it would um, work as an op doc so if you came to us with a sort of a written idea just sort of the concept we would say Um, ideally like okay this sounds great like keep in touch when you've gone ahead and shot it Um, then you send us the cut and then usually from the cut we'll put if we if we like that we'll put that into production um, and start giving notes and um, start scheduling it etc. The way the times works however it's all on spec um, until we actually publish it.
3: I definitely would prefer that people get in touch in pre-production if possible or production when they've started shooting something um, rather than coming sort of like with a completed video just because we do have such a sort of strong style guide across um, VICE's content that we kind of have to um, stick to, which is, you know, it's quite difficult with 35 offices. Um, So I would just encourage anybody to come to me like in pre-production, ideally, like when you have the idea even, like you don't even need to send me um, a document, I'm, I'm fine to get like a three sentence pitch and a couple of links to, to what you're thinking um, and, and go from there. I think also, like when you're emailing somebody like that, having like a, a note on what access you might already have to the story or the character that you're talking about um, helps because it just helps um, solidify it a little bit. And like Charlie said, like visualization, like talking visually about what you're going to shoot rather than talking about the issue you want to tackle in a, in a short.
0: Um, I'd second Charlie and Katie as soon as possible. Uh, ideally, there'd be a visual mood reel, um, as well as information about what the story's about, who you have access to. Often, days have access to amazing talent, be it musicians, artists, designers, etc. and we do try and put that spin and have these stories told through the lens of, of style or culture as much as we can, so the earlier the better.
1: We might be able to add to it. Charlie, how soon should they come to you?
4: Um, Yeah, like early-ish, so the ideal point is usually late development or early production because it needs to be late enough that you know what you want to do with the film so that you're not being too vague, Um, but not so late that we can't have significant editorial input. Uh, so, So I usually characterize that as late development or early production. But people can come to me really early, we've commissioned stuff off the back of CONSAT documents before, as long as they're really detailed. So a lot of it depends on what the idea is.
1: Okay, well, we've only got a couple more minutes. I'd like to throw the ending to the conversation around where documentary is is heading. Um, A lot of people, when I was um, asked to moderate the session, would say to me, but you always make long form, Cathy. Why are you getting into the space? As if it's a one or the other, you know, that somehow short form is threatening long form and i don't think that's the case at all i think with with any new emerging platform or idea that's just it's just growing the space and i think because i'm working with a lot of young emerging filmmakers this is a really interesting area to, to move into, to get audience, to get traction, to get ideas up. Um, it's, it can be also for experienced producers who've got ideas where they want to get to their audience very quickly, um, so timeframes and budgets. And you don't have to spend three years making something. You can do it in sort of three weeks or three months. Or... So I think it's a really beautiful space. Um, but I'd just be interested just to throw to all the four of you where you see docs going and how you're feeling about you know, all the changes that are happening?
2: Uh, yeah, so I think what you said is exactly right. I think that they can perfectly um, can coexist perfectly well together. A lot of um, our filmmakers actually do use OpDocs as. Almost a proof of concept for um, for a feature, they will um, run an op doc and see the traction that it gets, see the response that it gets from the audience, and that. And if it does well, um, which they often do, that can be a great way to go to funders and say, "Look at look at this idea, look at our approach. Um, this is really popular." Um, in other cases, I mean, I remember around um, we always do a series around the Sundance Film Festival, and. Um, a, and there were there was a filmmaking team that actually had a feature that won at Sundance, and they made a short, an original short based off of that. Um for OpDocs, basically using a, um, a part of their feature that didn't make it in, um, and it just worked very well as a standalone short. And then that was so popular on our website, I think it was like the most popular item on our website for a week, that they decided to take that substrand of their film that you know, would have just been abandoned and turn that into a feature in its own right. So I think that the two can play very well together and actually um, reinforce each other.
3: Yeah, I, I completely agree with Lindsay. Like, I, I don't think that it's, it's one or the other. They can definitely coexist. If anything, I think that um, the definition of short form and long form is just becoming completely murkier. Um, one, one of the most successful films on our sites in the last couple of years was the Islamic State documentary, and that was 45 minutes long, and people loved it. So, um, I, yeah, I don't think that it's definitely um, mutually exclusive. Um, in terms of where it's going, like, I'm, I'm really excited to see where VR and documentary is going to go. Um, that's kind of like a space that we've just started playing with, with reporting. And I think in terms of um, making people feel like they're actually there, like VR is just... I'm really excited to see what happens there.
0: Um, I agree. I think it's the most amazing time. You've got, you know, Making a Murderer on Netflix, smash hit, like Amy Winehouse documentary, all these amazing long-form films being made. And in the short space... Um, a lot of the directors we work with will make a short and then as you know Lizzie said it's proof of concept and they can take that to get developed by feature. I'm actually working with a director who we commissioned last year and his short um, is being turned into a feature and we're also making a series with him at the same time. So when this feature drops so will this short form series and you know there's places like Instagram and Snapchat and people are using like these 15 second video clips to tell stories uh, in a really disruptive way and it's cheap too so i think it's a really great
4: time for everyone
1: charlie your views on the future
4: yeah i mean uh, i just well i'd echo what everyone else said I and mean, i think this is a really exciting time for getting lots of people watching documentaries and what i think is great about what all of us here collectively do is that we're taking documentaries out to really really large audiences um it's kind of taking documentary out of this like rarefied world where you had to see it at festivals or just see it at occasional cinema releases and it's, it's dem- democratizing access to it and that's really exciting to me um and i actually like i would totally echo what jen said there about instagram and other platforms where you're talking about documentaries that are as little as like 15 seconds long, but that to me is a really like even more democratizing form of documentary. And I wouldn't necessarily want every doc to be 15 seconds, but I'm really interested about how we get information out to people. And I think there's just so much more ways to do it now than ever before. And that's great.
1: One thing we haven't talked about is the size of your audience. If we could just go backwards around. So what sort of size of audience do your works get Charlie? numbers
4: um, it's so it's so crazily varied I mean, the biggest audience we've got so far is about eight million um and i think the lowest has been maybe a couple of hundred thousand mm. um so there's a massive variation in yeah. there i mean it's so dependent on the film
1: yeah but we're talking significant size what about with days
0: uh, we're having quite an exciting time. Um, our network has grown from two years ago. We had about 400,000 views to now 4.5 million. So um, that spike is significant in the States and it's continuing to grow month on month. Um, films, it really depends. It's hard to quantify because you have to include broadcast sites and Vimeo and YouTube and everything all together, but we can have anything from you know 50,000 to 4 million.
3: Yeah, I agree. It's kind of hard to quantify when you're talking about pushing stuff across multiple platforms. Um, in terms of the online content, um, I guess like you saw, we have like 10 different YouTube channels, I think it is. And the the biggest one has like 6.5 million subscribers. So I mean, that's the audience, whether everybody watches that is is, is another story and other people outside that obviously watch that. Um, In terms of locally in Australia, we're getting around 3 million um, video plays a month. So we've got a significant um, audience here as well.
1: A lot bigger than a lot of broadcasters.
2: (laughs) Um, we, don't, we don't release numbers for um, views on our actual website as of right now, but um, one nice thing about video for the Times is that it's not blocked on our paywall, so any, anyone can watch it as opposed to articles where, um, where there is some, somewhat of a barrier to access. Um, but we have millions of subscribers on YouTube. We, we post all of our videos also to YouTube and to Vimeo, and um, many of our op docs have gotten millions of views on YouTube alone, so um, you're just getting uh, pretty great access in that way.
1: All right, well, look, this has been such a fantastic conversation and all these people, including Charlie, <laughs> if you can email him, are available to chat and do come up and have a chat. I just want to remind you of my F words. I think we've covered that. The freedom, the, the flexibility, I think that's a really big key. We get so much of told how stuff should be delivered from the traditional broadcasters. This is just beautiful time and length and style and... Uh, flexibility, the freshness of it, the fluidity of the form, and it is fucking fun. <laughs> so, thank you very much. Could you please thank this panel?
0: You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com/acmeonline or the Acme website.